When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Zabini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Happy New Year, everyone. 2024 is here. We can turn the calendar on the most disappointing season in recent Jets history, and I understand there's still one game to go. It's at New England, but figuratively, we can turn the calendar and say good riddance to 2023. It was a rough one. Right now, the Jets are 6-10 and 10 going into the New England game. We're not going to spend too much time on that game, but I will say in our third segment, we are going to give out our end-of-the-season awards. Got some uh, mostly serious awards. Got a couple of funny ones in there, too, and then we'll touch on the New England game. Uh, but I want to be in the present right now, and since the last time we talked, now we didn't have an episode last week. It was the Christmas holiday, and it was also a short week. So basically, there was no time to do it. But since the last time we talked, Woody Johnson has given Joe Douglas and Robert Sala a public vote of confidence, ending what little speculation there was. There wasn't a whole lot of speculation, but ending it by saying both guys are going to be coming back for a fourth season together as a tandem. My opinion is this. I think it's the right decision. I thought the timing was bad. A vote of confidence with three games to go. Since then, the Jets have played six, uh, eight of out of their eight quarters, six have been awful. So it really hasn't had a positive effect on the team. And I know this is not a popular opinion among Jet fans, but I do think it's the right decision. Well, you know what? Let me rephrase that. I'm not going to say it's the right decision. I think it's the decision that gives the Jets the best chance to succeed in 2024. Let's face it, the Jets are married to Aaron Rodgers. They gave up two twos. They guaranteed $75 million, and he wants to play two more years, and he wants Douglas, Sala, and Hackett back. Now, I don't like the way he runs the place. I think it's a bad look for everyone, but the Jets are too far down the road to turn back. He doesn't have to, you know, he, you don't want a guy like that with a new coach and a new system, not at age 40. And I remember something Peyton Manning said on the McAfee show after the trade was made or, or back in the spring at some time. He said it was how important it was that Rodgers was going to a team where he knew the coordinator and he knew this system. And he said that when you spend that much time in one system, you have to unlearn it before learning a new one. So that's why he thought the the Rodgers-Jets marriage made sense because it was going to be familiar to him with Nathaniel Hackett, the same system, seamless transition. And what Manning said always stuck with me, and it's one of the things why I think Rodgers' trade made so much sense for the Jets. To take that away, you would be minimizing, not maximizing, his potential to succeed in New York. And so Woody Johnson is giving everyone a mulligan. 
and running it back, even Nathaniel Hackett, who did a terrible job with this offense, dead last in almost every statistical category, and he's back. I'm all for adding a new voice to that room, by the way. Maybe we'll get into that later. But the bottom line is that everyone's coming back. They're going to run it all back. And I have a pet peeve with the bozos on the talk radio who think Rodgers is a detriment to the Jets. Now, yeah, he is high maintenance. And he likes to be seen and heard. We saw that through the entire season. But you got to believe he's still a good quarterback. And when's the last time the Jets went into an offseason knowing they had a good quarterback on the roster? It's been a long time. So don't look at Rodgers as a detriment in spite of all his, you know, desire to control things. He's still a good quarterback. At least we think he is at age 40. And so that's a good thing for the Jets. But I want to go back to Robert Sala real quick. So he gets a free pass on this year, but he's got a lot of work to do. This has to be a very self-reflective offseason for him. He just, to use a player cliche, he's going to take a hard look in the mirror. He's got to stop being a glorified defensive coordinator. There are too many games where they're too conservative on offense. It's run the ball and play defense. And I get it. You lost your quarterback. But that style, that philosophy is antiquated in today's NFL. Now, maybe that changes because he'll have more trust in Aaron Rodgers next year. We'll see. But he has to fix that blind spot for offense to become a better head coach. He also has to be more demanding. He's got to be a higher level of accountability for his players because this penalty epidemic is ridiculous. They are first in the league in penalties. They're third over the last three years combined. This year alone, the Jets have 52 pre-snap penalties. That's the most in the league. It just shows a lack of concentration, a lack of focus. They only had 31 of those last year. This year, they're up to 52. Now, I do believe Rodgers' presence will clean that up. He will help the operation work better. But Salah needs to coach it harder. Like I said, more accountability. And I'll give you a quick Bill Parcells anecdote that I think you may appreciate. His first coaching job was a tiny college in Nebraska called Hastings College. He was the defensive coordinator. Now, he ran a drill all week in practice. They were defending the bootleg pass at the goal line. They knew that was their opponent's best play. So they, he just pounded it into their heads all week in practice. They get in the game, and what happens? Hastings gives up a touchdown on a bootleg pass. Parcells goes ballistic on the sideline. He's screaming at his players. And the head coach, a guy by the name of Dean Pryor, pulls the young and fiery Parcells over to him and says, why are you yelling at the players? And Parcells was like, because we practiced that all week. They did this, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. They didn't execute. Parcells said, and he told me this story, and Pryor confirmed it. Pryor looks him straight in the eye. He goes, well, I guess you didn't coach it well enough. And I think that applies to Salah with these penalties. You gotta coach it better. Also, he can't be everybody's friend. He's a nice guy. You know, that's great. But, and he wants to make everyone happy, but... You know, sometimes as a head coach, you can't be everybody's best friend. Sometimes you just have to drop the hammer. 
I, I don't know if that's in his personality. I know he doesn't like showing up players, something like Brian Dable did, throwing that iPad at uh, Daniel Jones. That just That's not Salah's style, and I think that irritates the fans. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, that's that's his personality, but I think he needs to be a little more interactive with players during games. That doesn't mean he has to tear him a, a new, new you-know-what out in the full view of the entire stadium, but it's okay to be harsh at players. I mean, you saw it in the, in the national championship semifinals. You know, Saban will say stuff to players when they come off the field, and he'll scold them, and he'll give them a quick lecture and so forth. Uh, that's the greatest coach in college history, so I think... Parse, I mean, Salah needs to be a little tougher on these players. You can't be everybody's best friend. You got to stop trying to make everyone happy. Uh, I'm not saying you got to be 24 hours on eggshells the way it is under Bill Belichick. Belichick creates a an atmosphere where there's a fear factor. You know, you don't have to be that way. But sometimes it's okay to make players uncomfortable. If they get pissed off, so be it. You know, you're the head coach. You run the show. I also think he needs to talk, take a hard look at his staff. Now, Nathaniel Hackett is coming back, but I think Keith Carter, the offensive line coach, bears some scrutiny. Now, Carter is a Sala guy. Sala lobbied to hire him last offseason. They've known each other for a while. He got Carter in there. The offensive line has been a disaster. No, of course, injuries, a factor. They've started 13 different guys. But there have been constant miscommunications and mental errors throughout the season. I also believe from talking to people around the team that I don't think Carter's universally beloved by the players. You had that cut block incident in week one. Everyone's blaming Dwayne Brown for giving up the sack that got Rodgers hurt. But how about the cut block technique, an antiquated technique on the first series of the season? And by the way, they stopped doing it then and there. It was eliminated from the playbook after that disastrous first series. So I think Sala needs to take a really hard look at his coaching staff and put loyalty aside and just get the best people in there. Uh, Joe Douglas, he's got to get better too. You know, this was a disastrous offseason for Joe Douglas. Scouting, I mean, free agency, the draft, a lot of whips. He's 26 and 56 overall, and that's if you count the seven and nine season where he came in late. I don't know how much impact he had on that seven and nine season because he came in in, in 2019 that spring. If you eliminate seven and nine, his record is 19 and 47 as the general manager. You are what your record says you are. He's 19 and 47. He's nearly 30 games below 500. He will get a mulligan. So they're all coming back. Like I said, maybe not the most ideal situation, but given the Rodgers factor, given their commitment to him and how deep they're in it with him, I do think it's the best decision for the organization and gives them their best chance to win in 2024. All right, our first mailbag of 2024, and in the leadoff spot, Israel DMS7. Can you provide a little more clarity around your question to Robert Sala regarding his emotion after the Browns game? Well, that's became a bigger, a bigger thing than it should have been. Trust me, 
all across professional sports in the United States and probably around the world, there are question and answer periods after games, especially after emotional losses, where coaches and reporters don't see eye to eye. And this is just a little minor brush fire. I don't think it's a big deal. I was merely trying to ask Robert Sala after that loss to Cleveland. He struck me as a person in the press conference who seemed almost robotic, very stoic, and I was just curious about his mindset at the moment. Um, He appeared, frankly, just numb by another loss, their 10th loss, and I asked him, and I'm paraphrasing now because I don't remember the exact words, but I was asking him, you don't appear to be angry, but there's probably something inside you that's churning, and I'm wondering if you could share that with us, and he took offense to that, and away we go. It's uh, forgotten, and you move on. Like I said, it happens a lot in sports. Next one from at Derek H13. What's wrong with Makai Becton? Is his weight a double-edged sword? He needs the extra 50 pounds to play his style, but the body doesn't hold up with it. Uh, He was so good his first year. And Derek, it's an interesting question. I don't think it's a weight thing with Makai Becton. And you're right. He has fallen off on the second half of the year. Um, According to uh, our analytics, he's given up 17 sacks. That's second highest in the league. Interestingly, the person who has given up more, Iki Aquanu from the Panthers, a player the Jets were considering in the 2022 draft. Aquanu's given up 19. Uh, Becton, you know, I think it's it's the uh, perhaps wearing down. This is his first full season since his rookie year. He missed two straight years. He played in training camp at right tackle and then got moved to left tackle. So there was that. But I actually thought he was playing well for the first half of the year. Second half of the year, the penalties have multiplied. And and by the way, penalties, he's got 12 penalties, including eight false starts. The only player in the league with more penalties on the offensive line than Becton is Jawan Taylor uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. He has 17. So I think this has been really kind of a transition year for Makai Becton going from inactive for two years to playing every week. And kudos for him for making it through the season, uh, but his play did fall off toward the end. At Dante28, how on earth do we fix the offensive line? There aren't many free agents. You got to assume Alt and Fashionu are off the board. And yeah, exactly there, Dante. Uh, of course, Joe Alt of Notre Dame and Olu Fashionu from Penn State. They probably will be top five picks, and I don't think the Jets are going to be in the top five. They're picking eighth right now. Some thoughts on how to fix the offensive line. The first thing you got to do is you got to get Lakin Tomlinson to take a big pay cut. His number's way too high for next year. I would strongly consider moving Elijah Vera Tucker to right tackle because it's harder to find tackles in the offseason than guards, so I would move him to right tackle. Uh, with that eighth pick, you're probably not going to get a great lineman. You could, I would strongly consider trading down to the middle of the round, picking up an extra second-round pick to recruit, recoup the one you gave up for Rodgers. And then in the middle of the round, you're looking at Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, six foot seven, really good athlete. J.C. Latham from Alabama, their right tackle. Um, he'll probably go in the middle of the first round. He did not impress me in the semifinal game. In fact, on the ill-fated 
quarterback sneak at the end in overtime. If you watch that play closely, Latham got knocked on his rear end on that particular play. Uh, I would try to get the best free agent regardless of position. It doesn't have to be a tackle. I would get someone who's young. That way you minimize the injury factor. It's been a major issue for the Jets. A guy like John Runyon from the Packers, a guard, or Aaron Brewer from the Tennessee Titans. He can play guard and center. I would consider moving Tippmann to guard. If you sign Brewer and Brewer feels more comfortable at center, then move Tippmann to guard. Just get the best lineman in the room that you can possibly get. At Rick J. Brody, will Zach Wilson be the QB2 next year? And why, why not? Uh, I do not believe so, Rick. I think Zach Wilson will be playing elsewhere. I think they will trade him for a late-round draft pick. And I honestly think Zach Wilson doesn't want to be back with the Jets next year. And could you blame him? I think he needs a change of scenery. I think it's been three years. The marriage has run its course. I think they will go out and get a more proven backup. It'll cost them some money, but it's something they have to do. I think the Zach Wilson era in New York, as ill-fated as it was, is going to be over shortly. At Dan, the Jets. Do you think the lackluster impact and reduced roles of free agent signings like Cook, Lazard, and Cobb is going to deter big playmakers from coming to the Jets this offseason? It's an interesting question, Dan. I think the answer is no. I think when teams or other players look at the Jets, they will see the Rodgers factor as being the main reason why those guys didn't perform. Now, Nathaniel Hackett, not the greatest reputation around the league. That could be uh, dissuade some people from looking at the Jets, but ultimately in free agency, it comes down to money. And I think the money combined with the chance to play with Aaron Rodgers won't, you know, I think it's a positive for the Jets, a net positive. At Torin Batchelor, is trading John Franklin Myers a possibility would clear up some reps for Will McDonald and also clear some cap. And maybe you get a second or third day pick to reinforce the offense. Interesting thought, and it's interesting because JFM has a $16.4 million cap charge next year. That is on the hefty side. They have to make a decision by March 21st. That's when $2.1 million of his base salary becomes fully guaranteed. Now, if you let him go or you trade him, you're left with Jermaine Johnson and Michael Clemens. Remember, Bryce Huff is going to be a free agent, but even if Huff comes back... He's not good versus the run. I think you do need JFM. He and Quinton Williams are their only plus run defenders, if you look closely at the metrics. So I think you try to renegotiate, get JFM to take a little bit of a pay cut and have him come back on a lower cap number. We're doing our end of season awards, and I know it's not the end of the season, but too bad. We're going to dive into next week. We're going to devote to looking ahead into the offseason. So we're going to do the end of the season stuff. I don't think Sunday's game against the Patriots, which is utterly meaningless, is going to affect this. So here are my end of the season flight deck awards. The offensive player of the year goes to Brees Hall. Had a great start, a little bit of a slump in the middle, and a strong finish, 1,395 scrimmage yards. He has scored eight of the team's 17 offensive touchdowns. To me, it's a no-brainer. Brees Hall, Defensive Player of the Year. 
I will go once again with Quinn and Williams. Now, this year wasn't as good as last year. His sack total dropped dramatically from 12 to 3.5, but he's still a productive player in the passing game. He's sixth in pass rush win rate among defensive tackles. He still gets pressure on the passer. He's still very active in the run game, so I'm going to make him our flight deck defensive player of the year. Biggest surprise of the year? I'm going to say Tony Adams, because a year ago at this time, no one knew who he was. Just a rookie free agent. He comes in, wins a starting job in camp. Uh, He's had some up and down moments. Obviously, the Cleveland game was not one of his better games. Missed a couple of key tackles, but still a surprising performance for their free safety, Tony Adams. Biggest disappointment of the year, Alan Lazard. Big contract, $22 million guaranteed. Only 23 catches this year. Got benched. A healthy scratch for a game. It just has not worked out. You got to believe, you got to hope for the Jets' sake that this was Aaron Rodgers related and maybe he can bounce back next year. $10 million, fully guaranteed salary next year. So a difficult guy to cut. Most improved player, I'm going with Jermaine Johnson. Uh, Really looked like a different player this year after kind of a nondescript rookie year. Explodes on the scene, wins a starting job in training camp, six and a half sacks. You saw that acrobatic pick six against Cleveland. To me, he is the most improved player on the team. And by the way, a runner-up here in this category is Tyler Conklin, who did a nice job at tight end. Most improved player in a supporting role, Ashton Davis. Did not play a whole lot. Averaged about 10 or 12 snaps a game, but he was around the ball. Interceptions, fumble recoveries. Ashton Davis, who, by the way, is going to be a free agent. Obviously not the kind of guy you want to break the bank on, but might be good in a one-year type deal situation. Least improved player, CJ Uzama. I thought he would rebound after a mediocre first year with the Jets. He did not. Only eight catches. Ben suffers the season-ending knee injury. He will be a cap casualty in the offseason. This was just uh, not a free agent signing that worked out for the Jets. Uh, Best rookie, Joe Tipman. Not a lot of competition here. Uh, Tipman basically starting most of the year. Did some at guard, some center. uh, Good football acumen. Good athletic ability. Shows the ability to get to the second level. There were some growing pains. Some recognition issues that you got to expect that with a rookie center, but a positive first step for Joe Chipman. Um, most disappointing rookie, uh, I'm going to go with Will McDonald, and this is not all his fault. He played only 167 snaps. That was the least amount for any first-round draft pick by the Jets since Vernon Golston in 2008. So McDonald, hard to get. It was hard to get him on the field, you know, and he had only two sacks. They said they'd play him more down the home stretch. They have not. A uh, player to watch in the future. He's got some ability. You can see the pass rush ability. It just, he's got to get better against the run. Best moment of the year? Easy. September 11th, Rodgers running out of the tunnel with the American flag, the entire stadium lit up, glittering. What a moment for the Jets. The worst moment, about 25 minutes later, when they were carrying Rodgers off the field, with the torn Achilles. Essentially, the season was over at that moment. It was up, you know, it was a great start and a great finish all in one night. Best single game performance. 
I'm going to go with Brees Hall, 191 total yards and two touchdowns against the Washington Commanders, and that included 12 catches. That was an outstanding uh, single-game performance. He also had a good one in Denver. Runner-up here, Jordan Whitehead, opening day, three interceptions against Buffalo, was big. Worst single-game performance. I think I might have to go with um, our old friend and former Jet, Tim Boyle, on Black Friday against the Miami Dolphins. A performance that not only got him cut, not only got him benched, but cut, and the just the the fail Mary. That those are the only two words I have to say. The fail Mary at the end of the first half, a ninety-nine yard touchdown. The other way, best free agent signing. Not a lot to choose from here. This was a rough year, but Quentin Jefferson, a really good signing, has a career high six sacks. He's only thirty years old. He'll be thirty-one. They could probably get him at a good price. He's a guy I would want to bring back. Good locker room guy. Gives you some pass rush. You definitely want a guy like that in your rotation. Worst free agent signing? A tie. Alan Lazard, for the aforementioned reason, and also Dalvin Cook, who was released on Tuesday. I think this was a mutual thing. I think Cook basically wanted out, and the Jets said okay. I went up to Cook a few weeks ago. It was early December and I knew he was frustrated, and I tried to start off the interview with like a positive. You know, you toss out a little softball question, and I said, hey, look pretty good the last couple of games running the ball, and he goes, how could you tell? And I'm like, well, you know, just from watching your carries, he goes, how can you evaluate me based on one carry? And so right there, I knew how frustrated he was at the time. He said he didn't want to go anywhere else. He wanted to finish it out with the Jets. But obviously, things changed. He wanted to get out, and I can't say I blame him. Just a, an awful, miserable year for Dalvin Cook. But he did make $7 million, which I believe is the most any running back in the league made this year. So at least his bank account is bigger. Now, finally, for my team MVP, this was a tough one. I mean, Brees Hall had a good year, but I can't give it to someone on the offense because this was a historically bad offense. I couldn't go down that road. And the defense, I thought about Quinn and Williams, maybe even C.J. Mosley, but this wasn't Quinn and Williams' best year. So I am going with the kicker, Greg Zerline, 32 out of 34 field goals. He was big in all their victories. Now get this, he kicked at least three field goals in five of their six wins that includes five in Denver, how quickly we forget about that, and also the 54-yard game winner against Washington, which saved the Jets from an embarrassing, epic collapse on the day that Woody Johnson gave a vote of confidence to Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. The Jets nearly squandered that game. Zerline bailed him out. He's 5 of 6 from 50 yards and over, so this is unconventional. But it speaks volumes about the kind of year the Jets have had. I am giving their team MVP to Greg the Leg, the Legatron, Greg Zerline. Now, Jets finish up at New England at Foxborough. Look, you know the deal, guys. The Jets have lost 15 straight games. They have not defeated the Patriots since Fitzpatrick to Decker on December 27th, 2015. 
It's been 2,933 days since that happened. Now you have Bill Belichick in what will likely be his last game as the Jets, I was the Patriots coach. Well, he was almost the Jets coach, and technically, technically he was for about 24 hours. Last game in New England, uh, an era, really a dynasty, likely coming to an end. Now, will the Jets send him out with a little parting gift with a uh, with a loss? I don't know. I am going to pick Belichick in this spot. The Patriots are playing hard. They still, um, and I think they're going to get up to play for Belichick one last time. You're talking about the two worst offenses in the league. We're talking about a potential snow game. So I'm going to say 9-6 Patriots in an ugly end to an ugly season. Look, some Jet fans want them to lose anyway just to get a better draft pick. I think that's BS. I think you want to win every game, especially against a guy who's tormented you. Believe me, even if they finish 7-10, and 10, it's a bad year. But going into the offseason with a win over the Patriots and ending that streak in Belichick's last game, that would be a little bit of a lift for the Jets, and it would give them something to good, feel good about. When you're a team like the Jets and you're losing, every win matters. Now, if we're talking about the difference between missing out on a franchise blue-chip quarterback coming out in the draft, then yeah, then a loss would better serve the Jets. But right now we're talking about the difference between the 8th pick and the 7th pick or the 10th pick. It really doesn't make a difference there. So I'm picking the Patriots, and for the Jets, it'd be nice for them to win. I don't think it's going to happen, and we'll talk about it all next week on Flight Deck.